could he do that? Are you on What? Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brebber and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today we are coming back to you all from a record-breaking hiatus over here at Nerd Sesh Incorporated. It was a chaotic summer. I was all over the place, international, on sea, in the air. And luckily for us, there wasn't a ton going on in the NBA world that we missed out on. So we got to you guys during free agency. Now we're coming back to you a couple days after some more big news dropped. And our focus really is going to be on the NBA going forward and the trivia content. Of course, you see that all the time from us on TikTok, but also trivia time, the classic kind of podcasting stuff that we do there. Probably will not be as regular with NFL content as we have been at times in the past. So with that, we are back now. And the major storyline that we have to touch on, of course, is the blockbuster Donovan Mitchell trade. He is on his way to Cleveland. The full-on mega rebuild is in full force in Utah. The Cavs sent the Jazz, Lori Markkinen, Ochai Ogbaji, Colin Sexton, three unprotected firsts and two pick swaps in exchange for just Donovan Mitchell. So, Logan, let's start with the Cavs' perspective here. What does acquiring Donovan Mitchell do for them? I don't. Can I just say that it makes them a legit contender? You know, I really think it does here in Cleveland, considering all the young talent that you have here, the growth that I expect out of them next season. And I think that the amalgamation of talent that they have, I think that they fit really well together. Uh, you've got two ball-dominant guards, guys are going to run your offense, and Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland, uh, very special talents. I think Garland could be up near 10 assists per game maybe next season. He was at 19-8 and eight last year. I know he's your boy. Um, I expect him to get even better, but you're expecting Donovan and him to shoulder the, uh, the offense, and what they don't bring offensively, you have guys behind them that will pick them up Excellently. Evan Mobley is an elite defender. Jared Allen is an elite defender. Isaac Okoro is an elite defender with what deficiency he's uh, he has offensively. The Cavs were, you know, top 10 in defensive rating last season. They struggled on the offensive end, and that was kind of their uh, undoing when it came playoff time and play-in time. Uh, injury struck. They couldn't really shoot from behind the arc, and that's what sunk their ship. Um, they just weren't great on the offensive end, and Donovan Mitchell, He's a 25-point-per-game scorer. He's going to fill it up, and I like it because, like I said, with the construction of the roster, it allows him and Garland to focus on going out and just getting buckets on making this offense great. Uh, I don't think that they're better than Milwaukee. I don't think that they're better than... uh, I would say they're probably on, like, Philadelphia's level, maybe. I don't know if that's overhyping them too much, but I think this is a massive acquisition for them. Somewhere on Miami's level. Like, I still think they're better contenders, Boston included, but I think Cleveland has a legit chance at making some noise, maybe like an Eastern Conference Finals run. And again, with you know a well-timed injury in a series, maybe they can make an even deeper run. Um, and again, there's there's even more variables for this team coming into next year. The improvement of Evan Mobley, even more improvement out of Darius Garland. So I don't know, man. We could... I guess my only concern right in the construction is just that Garland and Mitchell like having the ball in their hands, but I think it kind of gives him a safety valve. It lets Garland play a little bit more off ball and take some of the pressure off him and help him get through the season. I I don't really see a world in which this isn't a win for Cleveland. Yeah, they gave up a lot. I like Agbaji a lot. I really did. I think he's going to be a great rotation piece for them immediately. I like Markin a lot. He's a great spot-up shooter in what he does. Sexton, he's okay. I, I don't hate Sexton. I think he's a solid player. And they, get, and they give up five first-round picks. Like, you didn't give up 
nothing here, but I think this is one of the best landing spots for Donovan Mitchell in terms of going to a team that's actually going to contend. I didn't want to see him go to New York and win 30 games next season. And I don't know. I think it's mutually beneficial. I think Cleveland made the right move. I think it's the best landing spot for them. They've got a lot of talent. I'm not ready to call them like NBA Finals contenders, but I think that in a few years maybe, one or two down the line, if you can keep everybody together, maybe they could be real contenders. But I don't think a Eastern Conference Finals run or something of that nature is not out of the question for them this upcoming season. Yeah, I think that this makes them solidly a top five team out East with a ceiling to go higher than that. I would definitely still have Milwaukee and Boston in a tier above them. I think that Philly is still a more talented basketball team with some of their minor improvements this offseason, just with the progression of Tyrese Maxey, who's been so incredible, and if James Harden is able to return close to the traditional form that we expect of him. But after that, I think that it probably has to be the Cavs. I mean, Brooklyn is also in a prove-it situation. They certainly could end up having a higher ceiling. There's just so much that's unknown there. But after that, it's got to be Cleveland. And again, I think that that's kind of the floor for them because... This was a really good basketball team last year. They had the best defensive 4-5 combo in the NBA. They had two of the most effective rim protectors in basketball and in Evan Mobley, a guy who is very comfortable sliding out to the perimeter and handling wings and at times guards as well. Just a defensive force. And Jared Allen obviously was also playing at an all-defense level. And that's what made them so damn good was their elite defense. And then Jared Allen got hurt and obviously things fell off dramatically but they were 35-21 and 21 when he played, which is better than a 51-win pace. That's what the Cavs did last year with one consistent high-level offensive creator in Darius Garland, who was phenomenal, who is clearly an all-star level player, who was acknowledged as an all-star this year, who's been one of my favorite guards in basketball since he set foot in the league, really, and has improved so dramatically. A lethal scorer and a brilliant facilitator. But the offense really fell off a cliff without him last year. I mean, when he was on the floor, they played as what was equivalent to the sixth best offense in basketball. When he was off the floor, that dropped down to the equivalent of the 28th best offense in basketball, right? So you're on complete opposite sides of the spectrum there, dependent on one guy. Now, you have two damn good primary ball handlers. You have two guys who are lethal pull-up jump shooters, who are legitimate three-level scorers, and Garland is a guy who really sets the tone as a facilitator. Donovan Mitchell's a guy who's really more had to learn how to facilitate, and he's been competent there, but at times, especially in the playoffs this year, I think we really saw it, where he descends into that hero ball kind of thing, and he was so damn good in the previous two playoffs that it didn't matter. I mean, even two years ago, he didn't have a great interior scoring postseason but he was so lethal as a pull-up jump shooter from beyond the arc that he was still tremendously effective as a scorer but he was taking lots of shots he was taking lots of tough shots and so now you have a great point guard who can regulate that who really can run your offense at a very high level who can put Donnie in positions to excel as a scorer without having to always be that primary facilitator but I mean you have one of these guys on the floor at all times you're in an excellent spot and then the defensive front court is stellar and I mean, it's just a really high-quality roster, man. With Ricky Rubio coming back, with Karis LeVert and Kevin Love off the bench, and four starters who are all 25 or younger and are either all-star caliber now, three of them have been, or will be very, very shortly in Evan Mobley, who I would expect to ultimately be the best player of all of them and I think a top-10 kind of guy in the NBA. They're not just really damn good right now. They are going to be 
a menace in the future. And I think in some ways this move might be underrated because of what it means from that perspective. 25 or younger, all four of these guys still ascending all four of these guys. I mean, I don't know how much better Jared Allen's going to get just because of his skill set, but Moley's going to get a lot better. I think Garland will get a little better. I think Donnie can still get a little bit better, a little bit more refined, a little bit more efficient, a little bit better as a decision maker and a playmaker, certainly better as a defender, most importantly, which in a situation like this, maybe we see progress from him again on that end. So I'm extremely excited, man. I mean, this is to me, one of the most promising NBA trades that we have seen in a long time, because as I've said, and as I've tried to hammer home, as I tweeted the other day, when was the last time we saw four all-star caliber guys, 25 or younger on the same roster? Like that's historic combination of youth and talent. So the future is tremendously, tremendously bright. I mean, I think there's three clearly all NBA caliber kind of guys and Jared Allen, I mean, is I mean, exactly. It's not hyperbolic, what you're saying. It's true, and it's scary, like you said, with how young all of these guys are. Garland is 22. Allen is 24. Okoro and Mobley are 21. I don't put Okoro in that top notch, but he's still very young, and he's a solid defender. Donnie is 25, and all of them are under contract, too. Garland through 2028, every one of the big uh, the big four here is under contract through 2026, uh, except for Mobley, who has a team option through 2025. Like, they're young, they're going to get better, and they're going to stick together. And I think, you know, Carson, in whatever, the, whatever sport you look at, if it's football, if it's basketball, if it's baseball, what is the underlying, uh, what is the underlying factor that fixes any issues? Winning. I think this team is going to win enough to where they're just not going to have uh, – Things happen, right? Like, we have the Mitchell situation with Gobert. They win a lot. They have all these playoff, you know, failures, and it blows up. I'm not saying something like that couldn't happen, but I think this team is going to win enough in these first two, three years that it's like, maybe this is the Cleveland's core for for a long time. You know, like, things change on a dime in the NBA, but this really could be the makings of something really, really special. I mean, all-time special. Um, that's all I got on the Cavs. If you want to get into the Utah stuff now, uh, I can. But if you've got something else, go ahead. Yeah, I'll hammer it home a little bit more with the Cavs just because I legitimately am that excited. To me, it's not just a combination of talent. It's that I think these are skill sets that can really blend together. You have the two brilliant pick-and-roll ball handlers, and you have the two high-level role men. I mean, Jared Allen is extremely efficient, phenomenal athlete, guy who's just going to dive to the bucket and who's going to catch lobs and eat up on the offensive glass. And then Mobley is this hyper-versatile offensive big man where obviously he can roll the bucket and he's a good vertical athlete. He's quick for his size. He's a certainly capable jump shooter. I think we'll probably get even a little bit better there. He's comfortable putting the ball on the floor. He's a good passer. He can score out of the post, but ultimately... He's a great complementary offensive player. He's a guy who can do a little bit of everything, who is never going to man that you play to his strengths, to his style, who is never going to be an overly assertive, volume-forcing-the-issue kind of scorer. He's the furthest thing from that, really. Sometimes you could argue that he's been a little bit too passive. So I just think when you have two high-volume guards, that's perfect. A guy who can do everything, who can be extremely complementary offensively, and then defensively you have these two forces who it's like, if you had to ask me, who I want to play cleanup duty for a couple of spotty point-of-attack defenders who are offensive star guards, so you want them, but have that weakness. If I could pick any combination of two guys in the league on the same roster right now, it's Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. Really? It's the best 4-5 or five defensive combination in basketball. You mean, but I can... They have to be on the same team, or I can pick any two? No, that's what okay. I'm saying. Existing combination. 
So I just think all around. And then, man, dude, I mean, the bench unit is like when we're talking about playoffs, when you're playing eight guys, you have still one of the most savvy playmaking guards and a high-level defender in Ricky Rubio. You have one of the scariest bench scorers and creators in Karis LeVert. Like, I mean, he was scoring, wasn't it 19 a game in Indiana before he got traded last year? Yeah. Like, that's terrifying. And then Kevin Love was easily one of the best six men in basketball last year. So I look at that roster, and I think they're going to win easily 50 games, I think into the mid-50s, and I don't think that they're title good yet, but that's because all of their core players are still ascending. Like, Donovan Mitchell could score 28 a game at his peak in this league on pretty good efficiency and can be really that insanely imposing athlete getting downhill and that lethal pull-up jump shooter and that guy who can play make well enough. Garland, I mean, is just... a a maestro at times and can do everything offensively at the point guard position at an extremely high level. And Evan Mobley has the potential to do effectively everything on both ends of the floor on a basketball court at a high level. And to me, again, is going to be all defense and a all-star level offensive player as well. Like just a, a superstar down the line. I still believe I'm that high on him. And we did a TikTok where you threw me out five young guys and I ranked them and it was Ant, Cade, Mobley, Chet, and Paolo, and I put Cade above Mobley, which was the exact opposite of my thought process during the draft, and I wish I could have taken that back because I still believe in Mobley more than I believe in anybody else from that draft. I think he's unbelievable. So I'm all in on the Cavs, dude. I think they're going to be great for years and years to come if they can keep this all together. I'm sorry, run that back. You put Cade over Mobley. When you asked me to do the rapid-fire... Yes, I did. And I regret it. And I regretted it pretty quickly. But those are tough, man. Because you don't want to just eat up clock. And I talked myself into the argument a lot of other people made, which is, oh, well, I want the great scoring, playmaking, offensive, you know, 6-7 ball handler. But then I'm like, no, that's not true. I Kate is amazing, but I think Evan Mobley is such a complete basketball player with room to grow and become more complete that it's just like, who... Could I possibly prefer to that for winning unless it's like, you know, literally LeBron, Giannis, like that kind of wing who has that two-way value, the playmaking value, all of that, the physical force. I love Evan Mobley, and I regret that. Can I ask you one more? Yes. Next 10 years, Anthony Edwards or Evan Mobley? See, I regret this too because I said Ant number one. I feel like I almost forgot how good Evan Mobley is and how much I love him. I think I would take Mobley. I don't know. Maybe that's is is Mobley your number one guy under twenty five? Is Lucas still under twenty five, or is he at that threshold yet? Lucas still under twenty five, so it's definitely Luca. But outside of that, I mean, Mobley is really high up. Mobley Ant is a very legitimate debate for me. I think those two guys are both obviously monsters with so much room to grow still. But Cleveland, man. They're in a great spot. You want to flip it to Utah? Yeah, we'll go ahead. I mean, I think it's uh, I think this is a really mutually beneficial deal, right? And Danny Ainge is Danny Ainge is doing this at the right time. I'm glad that he's the man anchoring them into this rebuild. And what I don't think a lot of people realize, man, um, is how Utah is still kind of set up for the future. Like they've held on to some 
pretty good assets uh, for this next season, right? They hold on to Jordan Clarkson. They don't lose him. That's still an asset that you can either move or hold on to. You have Malik Beasley here. You have Boyan. Like, Jazz are not going to be good next season. Let's get that out of the way, right? They're going to suck. They are going to be very bad. But they have accumulated a ton of capital from the future, right? They got, what, five picks from the Timberwolves. They got five picks now from Cleveland. I mean... You know, I don't know if this is, because we've seen a lot of teams do this. If it's Oklahoma City, if it's San Antonio, if it's now it's Utah. Um, tanking for, you know, the, the Wenbanyama sweepstakes. I don't know if that's in the equation at all here for Utah. Everybody would like to get him right. That's kind of going to be luck of the draw. I think whoever gets the first pick isn't going to be interested in trading it, no matter how many picks you throw at them. But this is the modern way to rebuild. You get a lot of firsts. You try to flip it and you see what happens. Um, Utah's in a good spot. I don't know what else you could have gotten that was better, you know. Uh, we can have a debate about uh, what the Jazz should have done because there were some very intriguing trades on the table for Utah. Uh, you heard, I heard DeAndre Hunter and John Collins and some picks from Atlanta uh, was on the table. The Knicks, you know, Obi Toppin, Quentin, or not Quentin Grimes. I don't know if they wanted to throw RJ. Thibodeau apparently wanted to que- uh, keep Grimes. There were a ton of trades on the table for Utah, but I think they took the best one. I know a lot of people disagree. A lot of people's favorite trade was the John Collins, DeAndre Hunter one. You know, like, I don't, you're not getting a superstar. And that's why I say that if you're going to lose value like this, because you can never accumulate enough requisite value for a player like Donovan Mitchell for it to be enough. I don't even know if five first round picks is enough, right? Because Donovan Mitchell is that special of a player. I don't mind Utah throwing in the towel and saying, we'll take three solid guys. I, I think this is the best trade that Utah could have taken out of anything on the table. And I- I'm-, I'm a guy four picks. If you can get all those first. That's an insanely valuable, those are insanely valuable assets. I think Utah made the the best trade that they could have. I think there's, I can't say they're set up for the future, but I like the direction that they're headed in. They get a Boston Celtics head coach uh, that was in their coaching tree. Danny Ainge knows him, and I trust Danny Ainge. He's, I don't know if he's ever made a bad trade, man. He's the man. Um, I think Utah did the best possible thing in their interest, and they still have a lot of very good talent on this roster. Like I said, I think this is like a 25-win team next season. They're going to be pretty bad in the cellar of the West, but that's where they want to be, and they've got a lot of picks for the future. I uh, Honestly, dude, if I had to grade this trade on both sides, I'd probably say this is an A-plus for Cleveland. I think it's an absolute grand slam home run. For Utah, I'd give them a B-plus, right? You never like losing out on these superstars, but I think this is as much value as you could have gotten for Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert this offseason. I think it's a win-win as well, but this is as explosive of a rebuild as we have seen from a team that... <laughs> Two years ago, had the best record in basketball, and was it this last season? Uh, did you take them to win the finals? I took them to go to the finals. I mean, I thought that it was a brilliant offense with a consistently elite team defense because of Gobert. I thought the top seven, eight guys, just given the kind of bench production you're getting from Ingles when he was healthy and Clarkson. And they played such cohesive offensive basketball. There were so many capable facilitators, so much shooting, well coached. Like that was just a year ago that things felt that way. And it's really pretty remarkable to see what's happened. But at the same time, I do think it was the right course of action. I don't actually think that they were talented enough. I think they were too bad defensively. I think they had too much invested in guys like Conley and Bojan who were not going to help out with their issues on that end. And they didn't have another legitimately great offensive player alongside Donnie. Their depth regressed, obviously, with the loss of Ingles and Clarkson just not having nearly as good of a season. So 
all in all, like, yeah, they weren't good enough to contend. And they didn't really put themselves in a position to where they could easily just slide around pieces to get back to that level. So I do think this was probably the right choice. It's just incredible. I cannot think of a time recently when a team that was that good that recently trades their two best players, their two cornerstones. You were a very big uh, member of the camp that said, uh, you kind of started out, I didn't hear a lot of people say that they um, you know, shouldn't have moved, uh, excuse me, shouldn't have moved Mitchell or Gobert. You were in the camp of like maybe shuffling around Boyan, Conley. Seeing with what Utah got back, do you think they made the right decision? And then uh, you said they made the right decision. Would you have followed that same course of action if you were in control? Or would you have tried to shuffle around these pieces and run it back one more time? I think they were ultimately too far away. I don't think it was an issue, at least on the basketball court, of Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert cannot work together. I think it was an issue of the pieces around them were insufficient, particularly on the defensive end. Well, that's what I'm saying. If you were in control, would you have considered maybe moving like Conley and Boyan instead and trying it again this year? Because I know you were in that camp at the start of all this drama. Yeah, but I also think I shifted towards potentially moving Gobert just because of the monster that is that contract. But ultimately, this makes the most sense because if they move Gobert, oh, great. Well, now we go from being a top 10 defense to the worst defense in basketball. Like, unless we're getting, you know, really solid defensive production from our new big man and we're really improving offensively on the wings and defensively because they would need a guy who can play both ends of the floor, I think it just became too tall of a task to do because they weren't good enough as currently constructed. They could move Gobert. It's a bad contract. He has his offensive issues and his playoff limitations. But then it's like, all right, well, now we're further away than we were because he is still a really impactful player on winning because he's a one-man top five defense. And so then they would have been stuck even further away. And, you know, then you're looking at multiple years of trying to get back to the height you were just at when Donovan Mitchell, even though he's only 25, already feels like a superstar, wants to be treated in that way, wants to be winning at that level. So... I don't know what I would have done. I mean, I think I could have gone either way, but when I look at the haul that they got, and when I think about how things ended last year, this does feel right to me. And the reality is that most of these picks are probably going to be late 20s, or not late 20s, but in the 20s, because, I mean, you're looking at two really strong teams, but you're reaching into 2029, like... They have a pick from both the Timberwolves and the Cavs in 2029, and you don't know what those teams are going to look like then. So, yes, that's very far away. You don't want to be invested in something that's seven years away, but it could be better value than we're expecting right now. Regardless, I think you can also look at the fact that they picked up three quality basketball players. I mean, Markkanen had a good year. Colin Sexton obviously is super flawed and can be selfish and can be... Uh, very, very bad defensively, even though he was such a hound there in college. But I just saw a tweet of somebody comparing his and Donnie's raw production from a couple years ago when Sexton was healthy. I mean, yeah, Sexton was a reasonably efficient 24-point-per-game scorer. He can go out there. He can get buckets. There's no doubt about that. I just don't think you can ever build around him as like a top-two kind of piece on your team. But he's a 23-year-old who is damn good at scoring the basketball. And that dude can find a place, especially because wasn't it a four-year, $72 million extension that he signed with the sign-and-trade? That's a valuable contract. I mean, that's almost six-man if you wanted him. You know, That's what I'm saying, dude. Would you rather have Jordan Clarkson or Colin Sexton? I'd rather have Colin Sexton. I think it's a no-brainer at this point. 
It's a no-brainer. So it's all about the role that we see people in. Everybody hates Colin Sexton when he's supposed to be the best young guard in Cleveland when he's, you know, a former eighth overall pick who's expected to be that star. But you know when people are going to love Colin Sexton? When he's scoring 20 a game pretty efficiently in a tertiary role or coming off the bench. And he has people to compensate for some of his weaknesses. So I still believe in him. He's a talented basketball player. And then Ochai... I loved. I mean, he's a lottery wing who can really play both ends of the floor. He's a plus athlete, a good shooter, a committed worker who comes from a winning culture. Like, that's good, man. That's good value. I mean, yeah, and like you said, man, veteran at Kansas. He's twenty-two year old. He's twenty-two years old. He's going to step in and be a rotation asset immediately. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if Akbaji was starting some games maybe uh, by the end of his season here in Utah. I mean, like, it's wide open. I, I like Agbaji too. He's a great defender as well, man. I mean, he's just he's going to play immediately. That's why I liked him in Cleveland. I obviously like this more, but um, Agbaji's a hell of a talent. I think just, uh, it's great, dude. I, I I'm I'm happy with the spot that, like I said, man. Utah's going to suck, but you know what, man? They're going to be a fun team to watch with how young they are. I think I think going to be a fun team to watch with Agbaji, with Sexton, with Markin, and with Walker Kessler too. I'm intrigued with what he can do. I think it's going to be fun, man. Yeah, I mean, they're an interesting collection of guys right now. What are you laughing at? I, know, I, I just forgot that the Stanley Johnson THT trade went through to get Pat Bev. Yeah, it certainly did. And I mean, currently on their roster, it's a really interesting combination of guys from all the trades that they've done. They have Nikhil Alexander-Walker from the Ingles trade. They have Jared Vanderbilt from the Cat trade. They have Malik Beasley from the Cat trade. Like, yeah, they're not going to do anything meaningful. And they're a really weird combination of ages and all these different things but, but they have they have decent amount of talent still and all these ridiculous amount of picks like I don't think they'll win more than 30 games because they don't have that really high level offensive engine and they're not going to be a good defensive team but they have more pieces that you could maybe continue to pawn off for I don't know other assets young guys picks that you want down the line Jared Vanderbilt should be in a winning situation Malik Beasley well, he's not the best, but he's a hell of a shooter of the basketball and a good athlete, and he scored 20 a game three years ago, two years ago. I was going to ask, if you had to place a bet to see who would lead the Utah Jazz in scoring this season, who are you betting on? That's a really good question. It might be Jordan Clarkson. Well, no, no, Bojan. I think it will be Bojan. Still? I don't know, man. I think Beasley, Clarkson, and Sexton are all – I'm. Uh, it depends on what Sexton's minutes are going to look like. If Sexton starts, I'd probably take him, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, you may be right. I mean, again, he was a 24-point-per-game scorer in his last healthy season. was brutal last year before he got hurt, but we'll see. Yeah, I think it would be Bojan or Sexton, but I could see Clarkson creeping into that tier as well. Okay, any final thoughts on the Jazz here before we touch on the other couple pieces of NBA news and then we get out of here? I'd just like to apologize to the audience for my computer just going off in a really unprofessional of me. It's okay. We're in Logan's new apartment. We're making things work, guys. We're very sorry that we were gone for that long, but it was really tough. I was all over the, the world and starting a full-time job with the volume, and we're, we're really just doing our best. We're trying to get you guys content, and we love you all very much. Yeah, I think we pretty sufficiently covered that, but it is incredible man i love the nba i the the player movement at this point is really fun and i just think that this is a good one this is a fun one to talk about and i think both these franchises did what's ultimately best for them okay so 
The other couple tidbits of news that we have, R.J. Barrett signed a four-year, $120 million extension to stay in New York. Of course, the Knicks were uh, (laughs) in the Donovan Mitchell sweepstakes. Their fan base was certain that they had him. They ultimately did not get him. But, Logan, what do you think about this extension? What do you think about, I don't know, I guess how things are for the Knicks overall? Knicks fans, I'm telling you, you guys wait till 2010. LeBron's going to be a free agent. I think you guys are a shoe-in. I think it's almost locked up. I, I would put a bunch of money on LeBron going to the Knicks in that offseason. I, I think they're destined to land him. You know, I, how do I put this succinctly? I don't know what the fuck the Knicks are doing. Um, I don't think the Knicks know what the fuck the Knicks are doing either. Julius Randle's got big money through 2026. Jalen Brunson has big money through 2026. Um, this is an $120 million deal, correct? Yeah, four years. So now uh, <laughs> R.J. Barrett's getting paid $30 million through 2027. You know, that's a lot of money, Carson, uh, for three players that I don't really know how much they impact winning. Um Julius Randle obviously has his struggles, yeah, um, is not a great jump shooter, um, is, has a very limited bag, kind of an outlier season where he was successful. Jalen Brunson, as much as I love him, I think he could be a 20-point-per-game scorer this season. Um, Jalen Brunson has his holes, right? He's not a great defender. He's not he, – he, Brunson's a winner, and that's what's so frustrating. Is in the situation where he was in Dallas, where he was playing off-ball to Luka, where he was making plays, where he didn't have to be the lead guy, Brunson can do. And Brunson can come out here and be the lead guy, but he's not a superstar. And the Knicks kind of paid him like a superstar. The R.J. Barrett thing, their hand was kind of forced, right, Carson? Right? What was the stat that they hadn't extended somebody? They hadn't extended a first-round pick since, I don't know, it had been years. I don't know the last time the Knicks extended um, a first-round pick. It had been quite some time. I'm going to find this out because it's pretty telling. Like, R.J. Barrett's the first guy to... 20 years. Yeah, 20 years. First one since 1999. The Knicks just hadn't. And so you're banking on him becoming a superstar. I'm a big RJ guy. I was a big RJ guy last year. I came on the pod multiple times and I talked about how much I liked him. And it's just this thing. Anybody that you will hear talk about RJ, they will tell you the exact same thing. It's that he has his moments. RJ will have a half where he drops 20 points, you know, four assists. And I'm like, damn, dude, RJ's a star. And he comes out and he shits the bed in the second half. He's... Really inconsistent. He's not a great scorer, and that's the kind of scary thing to me about a guy that plays like R.J. Barrett. Is right, he does a lot of little things really well, but he doesn't do anything great. He's a lead ball handler who isn't really that good of a scorer or that good of a jump shooter. Right, he shot thirty-five percent on jump shots last season, thirty-four percent on pull-ups, thirty-six percent on floaters, forty-four percent on layups. R.J.'s just not a great scorer, and you don't want the guy who is your lead ball handler to. He can't put the ball in the cup. He's young. I'll give him that. RJ's got time to get better. He's 22. But people are going to look at these raw numbers. Oh, RJ puts up 26-3. and We have to give him this money. He shot 41% from the field and 34% from deep. I don't think this is a great situation, right? We also need to put that in context. RJ doesn't have a whole lot around him, and I hope that by bringing in Jalen Brunson that he has somebody to rely on. Is this this an all-lefty lineup? We got RJ, we got Brunson, we got Julius Randle. Is Mitchell Robinson left-handed? Nobody knows. He only dunks. <laughs> Fair point. No, he's not. <laughs> he's not. Um, a lot of lefties here. That's interesting. But uh, the Knicks overall are kind of directionless. I still like their bench. I like D. Rose, Toppin, Quickly, Grimes, Sims, Deuce McBride off the bench. 
but your top three stars are all very flawed. And I don't know how much Randall and Barrett still impact winning. And RJ still has a very, very long way to go until he is worth $30 million. It sucks. Like I said, the Knicks haven't paid a first-round pick in over 20 years. It's not something they like doing. But they like paying Julius Randle $30 million a year. I don't know, man. It's it's tough. I think they had to do this because you don't want to just lose RJ for nothing. But I just don't know if he's worth that money, and I don't know if he'll ever be worth that money, right? He's going to prove it over the next four years if he is a full-on superstar, if he reaches there, if he becomes a... Because, I mean, RJ has the raw tools to be great at everything. That's why the Knicks took him so high. He's supposed to be their savior. RJ has to become a better scorer, pure and simple, to be worth this money. And uh, if I had to bet, I don't think he ever reaches it. I I, I haven't seen enough in terms of... uh, of control of the game, feel for the game, playmaking ability, scoring in general. I haven't seen enough, but he is still young. Uh, That being said, I don't love it. I would grade this a C. This is a very average Knicks move, maybe a D. We'll see. Yeah, I'm cool with this extension. I think that... I agree with a lot of what you said. Like he's certainly not worth thirty million a year right now. I don't know if he'll ever be, and it's not a question of volume. Obviously, he already scored twenty points per game as a twenty-one year old. That's pretty damn good. It is completely a question of how does this lead to winning? How do we build a good offense around R.J. Barrett as one of our two key guys? Because it's like you said, man. I mean, the jump shooting can be really rough, and the just skill in the intermediate game is brutal. I mean, he will just put up bricks from that mid range, from that floater area. And he hasn't been a particularly efficient at rim finisher, like you said. So you combine that with the fact that he's kind of a meh playmaker and he's a good defender. So it's like, yeah, he's a talented guy, but I don't know how confident I am in that jump shot coming along enough or that playmaking coming along enough to where I'm like, yeah, I want RJ Barrett to be one of the two or three best basketball players on my team, which is ultimately what a $30 million per year guy is. I mean, even with the cap going up and all this and yeah, the youth factor and sure he has potential to grow. So I don't detest it because it's like, what do the Knicks have to really bank on? You know, we saw what they just gave to Jalen Brunson. They are just trying to find hope somewhere. They all thought they were going to get Donovan Mitchell. And in the scheme of things where they could put their hope, four years, $120 million for your former number three draft pick who has shown flashes and overall is a pretty promising, strong young player. Giving him $30 million a year for four years is not the worst thing. I don't think it's going to age particularly well. I do think there's going to come a breaking point where they're like, okay, it's not working in terms of really winning. The efficiency hasn't come along. The shooting hasn't come along. That's what I think, though. I certainly don't know that. Like, there's a ceiling for RJ that is a legitimate star. I will say, though, I think this is pretty funny. So, RJ Barrett ranked top 15 in these following categories last year. Minutes per game, games, field goals missed, personal fouls, and he sneaks in there with free throw attempts. So basically, he's out there. (laughs) He's out there a lot. He's putting up shots. He's, uh, He's He's definitely playing. He's definitely playing. He is playing. Oh, excuse me. Sorry. Some of those were two years ago but those are the stats that he's ranked top 15 and over the last two years twice almost a top 15 finisher in field goals missed yeah and he was right in the top 10 this past year where was he in field goals made i believe 34th (laughs) so a little bit further behind 
Okay. Last thing to address here. Lonzo Ball is yet again injured and apparently will not be good to go for the start of the season for the Chicago Bulls. Expected miss training camp. Uh, still knee pain. And obviously we saw him miss a majority of last season in total. So I don't know that I have a ton to say here because I don't think that the Bulls are going to reach the ceiling again that they did at the start of last year. And they ended up as only a 46-win team. Of course, that was without Lonzo for a lot of it. I do think the Bulls will be a good basketball team. I mean, dynamic pair of lead scoring wings. And with Caruso and Lonzo, then you have a really solid defensive foundation, an elite defensive backcourt, honestly. Vooch obviously was not impressive last year. We'll see if he can get back closer to his previous form. To me, if he's hitting 36% of his threes, then that makes him a more effective basketball player overall. And then, right, you have some promising role pieces as well. Io was really good. Kobe White in the scheme of things is a very solid scoring bench guard. But it's just like they're not going to contend. Obviously, you know, a healthy Patrick Williams is an, a potentially impactful player. We got to see more of that. But with or without Lonzo, they're not contending again. And more than anything, I just feel personally bad for Lonzo because we've seen so much improvement from him, but the health thing just remains an issue. Yeah, and what really sucks for Chicago this upcoming season on top of Lonzo getting hurt is just how difficult the East has gotten. Um, yeah, I mean... There's going to be a really there's going to be some really good teams that just miss out on the party, right? Like uh if it's Atlanta, if it's Toronto, if it's Chicago, I mean Chicago's genuinely going to have to fight uh to just make the playoffs. Like eight teams are going to get in, right? I'd say Boston, Brooklyn, Philadelphia are all locks. I'd say Milwaukee is a lock. I'd say Cleveland is a lock. And then I'd probably say Atlanta is a lock, and that leaves you with, yeah, Cleveland and Chicago can sneak in there. Toronto's also going to be fighting. Miami is, no, Miami's a lock. So Atlanta, Toronto, uh, and Chicago, you know, two of those three teams are going to miss out, and those are good teams, man. You know, they're not just pushovers. I would probably say Chicago's the odd team out. I wouldn't bet on them to make the playoffs. So it sucks that the East got better and you lose Lonzo. It, it really does suck for Lonzo, man, because I think he's a winning basketball player just through and through. I think that... You know, the hype that Lonzo had coming in, um, <laughs> Steph Curry with a 40-inch vertical, you know, he didn't quite live up to that. Um, I never really expected that from Lonzo, right? You know, I think you could see the deficiencies in his game, but he's become a winner, man. He, If it's, you know, throwing an outlet pass and getting out in transition, if it's making plays on offense, if it's just moving the ball within the flow of an offense or shooting a corner three, Lonzo doesn't try to do too much, right? He plays great defense. He makes plays on offense, and it was really beautiful. I don't want to understate what Chicago did at the start of last season, Carson. It was a lot of fun. I said they were going to win the East, and then the injuries happened. You know, we lose Pat Will was out at the start of the season. We lose Lonzo. We lose Caruso. If this team stays healthy, if Lonzo comes back and they can somehow stay healthy throughout the rest of the way, I think Chicago has a legit playoff chance. They can, they're going to be in the play-in. You know, They're going to be fighting and clawing. They're going to be a very low seed. Um Chicago was a lot of fun when they were really healthy last season, man. They they got out in transition. They played gritty, grimy defense. And DeMar and Levine filled it up in the mid-range. And the supporting pieces did their jobs. They were a lot of fun. And I do think that Chicago's not the deepest team. I think that's probably their still biggest flaw. <laughs> you got Drummond, Kobe White, and Pat Will off the bench. I don't hate it. I like Ayo too. But it's not like, again, it's, it's a really good rotation for 9 or 10 deep. Well, you've already lost one, so now you're eight deep. 
it's like I just I don't want the I don't want the Tony Bradleys of the world getting minutes. I don't want I don't I want to see less and less of the Derrick Jones Juniors, the Tony Bradleys. You can't have those guys out there and be a great team. I'm not trying to be mean to those guys. They're solid basketball players, but they're not you're going to lose games with them on the floor. So I think health is once again going to be the biggest thing for Chicago. We're seeing that again. I think it's going to be the biggest thing with their depth, um, with Patrick Williams coming back, with Caruso coming back. If they can stay healthy, I think it's a really good team. And like I said, man, I loved watching Chicago play when they were healthy last season. It's just, it bites them again, and it's sad. Because like you said too, dude, Lonzo's worked his ass off to, to get here, to get better, and uh, it's another setback. They said he's going to miss training camp. He's likely going to miss the start of the regular season. I'm going to look up and see if they have a you know more defined timetable for when he might be back. I don't believe they do. So I'll just start to outro then. And if you prove me wrong, you prove me wrong. Oh, sorry. I guess it says six to eight week return timeline to begin after next week. Yeah. So he has to go undergo arthroscopic uh, surgery on his left knee. Is that sorry? Is that, did you have that done to you, bro? No, I had a larger surgery. Arthroscopic is the little one. Oh. They just go in the little guys. I got some big old scars on mine. Yeah. Poor guy. Poor guy, man. I hope that he uh, stays healthy for a more extended stretch because he really is a damn good basketball player. Tell you what, man. I hate when my balls get hurt. All right. That's enough of that. Sorry about that, guys. It was really fun. And then uh, I gave the mic back to Logan. It seemed like he wanted it. And... Uh, I don't know. Maybe we just don't post this thing now. You like you like when when balls get hurt. <sighs> I don't. No. I hope that Lamelo stays healthy. Angelo too. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, this was good to be back. Um, it's good to be back. It's good to be talking to you all. And sorry that we were gone for so long. It really was a record-breaking hiatus, but you know, might have been needed. And so now we're back. We're in the same place, and basketball is around the corner-ish. Football is really around the corner. Maybe we'll talk about that when it strikes us, when we feel passionate about it. But again, it's not going to be a regular priority. But the trivia content will keep on coming, so always stay plugged into our TikTok there at NerdSesh. We will continue coming out with some exclusive betting content over at SoBet, where you can sign up for a subscription there. You get exclusive content from us and a bunch of other betting experts influencers who really pride themselves on that and whatnot we're going to be going to a SoBet content event in Nashville next weekend so hopefully that'll be fun for some NFL kickoff so go ahead check that out as always Twitter is at nerd underscore sesh Instagram is at nerd sesh we haven't posted on there in a while because we haven't done a pod but we're going to start coming out with our NFL picks there hopefully we'll start cutting up some stuff from shows as well you guys know where to find us so we're back We're back, baby. Get ready. Serena Williams just retired from tennis. I will not be talking about that on Down the Line because that podcast doesn't exist anymore if you previously listened to Down the Line by Carson Brever, the tennis podcast. Too much going on. Had to cut it. Had to cut it, all right? But Serena's the GOAT. All right. (laughs) Good, 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 good. 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 God, the mic feels so good in my hand. I don't know if I want to let it go. It's been too long since I've had this thrill. I almost want to eat it. I almost want to put it right down my gullet. I love this thing so much. The Samson Q2U, it's a good mic, and it's my third version of it. It's a good mic. All right, Logan's got to go work. He works at a pizza joint now. I'm not going to tell you what pizza joint it is because I don't want you to go there because I don't want them to succeed. I want them to suffer. All right, with that, as always, I have been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Search. <laughs>